Truth Espresso, episode 176. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hey there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, for another episode of Truth Espresso. And I'm actually in uh, kind of Studio 3 right now, just so I don't take up Studio 1, which happens to be our um, where we might need to dispense vitamins and so on for the kids so that they can go to bed in time. But I have a guest with me on this episode, a special guest. Um, his, name is Col- uh, his name is Conley Owens, and... He is on the pastoral staff at Silicon Valley Reformed Baptist Church. And what's also interesting about him, from my perspective as a software engineer, he is a software engineer at Google, and so I bow to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is also, Conley is also the husband and father of seven children. Uh, my wife and I have four children. So, so we just had our, we just had our eighth on Saturday. Oh yes. And I was about to ask you about that because <laughs> listening to interviews, it was, your eighth was due in April. And so I'm like, wait, this is April. When is it? So, um, I got to update your bio then. You're the father of eight children, and as a father of four, I bow to you. <laughs> you got more experience there even than I have, and I thought four was a lot. But <laughs> um, So Conley also has an MDiv from the Log College and Seminary, and uh, Conley is pursuing a doctorate from Forge Theological Seminary, and he is the author of a book called The Dorian Principle, A Biblical Response to the Commercialization of Christianity, and that is going to be the topic of our discussion in this episode. And so, Conley, uh, thank you for being a guest on Truth Espresso. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a joy to be here. Well, thank you for uh, being with us, and uh, it is uh, something I would like to do more often, have more guests on, and um, my wife uh, is my co-host, and, you know, having kids, we will often record our episodes uh, on a Friday evening or Saturday evening, like around, say, 10.30 to 11 p.m., starting recording, and so, yeah, those could be late nights, but... Yeah, it's nice to have another guest. And so, uh, Conley, would you? Um, I often ask my guests um, to give their testimony, their Christian testimony, how they came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So, would you like to do that for us, Conley? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, when I was a kid, I was raised in a Christian home, and I had a habit of, you know, my brother and I would get in trouble, and he would be blaming me for everything. I would be blaming him for everything. And uh, one of these times my dad sat me down and explained to me that, uh, you know, not everything is other people's fault. Sometimes it is my fault. And it's hard to know if that was the exact moment, but I think that was the point when I 
finally realized the purpose of the cross. You know, I understood that Jesus died for sins, et cetera, but it was really then that I realized that the, uh, the way of dealing with guilt was not by blaming others, but instead by confessing it and recognizing that when you are honest about it and trusting Christ, that he, he bears that penalty for us. So I wanted to put that blame on everyone else and have them bear it. But, you know, Jesus was already willing, you know, when I, uh, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I was saved. And so it was, uh, I was, I was pretty young at that point, probably maybe only even five, but, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, there's more to the story, I guess. Um, you know, if, if you're interested more to the story, uh, <laughs> growing up, uh, eventually I did my first internship in Austin, Texas. I was working at IBM there in Austin and it was first time I had a real job. First time I had real money and, I kind of was of the opinion at that point in my life, there shouldn't really be denominations. Everyone should just say they're from, uh, you know, they shouldn't say they're from a Paul or Apollos, but you know, we should just go to whatever church is most convenient and do the best we can there. And, uh, there's something true about that and that, you know, we should have a, we shouldn't have like this, um, I don't know, consumeristic mindset towards church, but I ended up, uh, going to this church where I was giving more money than I'd ever given a church because I had more money than I'd had before. I was giving them more time than I'd ever given a church before. I was with them probably four nights a week at least. And uh, anyway, about a month into this, I realized it was a cult. And uh, <laughs> and I realized, oh, wait, maybe these labels do matter. And I should kind of figure out a little bit more about what I believe and what uh, <laughs> yeah. what I want to be investing my time and resources into. So uh, that, that was a big inflection point for me. It was then that I really started uh, – studying the Bible more seriously and um, yeah, uh, thinking about these things a little more deeply. Oh, cool. Amen. Um, on your testimony there, uh, Conley. And, and so as we're going to talk about your book, uh, the Dorian principle, um, what's the basic idea of the book? And I've, I've read uh, through the book and skimmed through it, but could you tell our listeners what's the basic idea of the book? What is the Dorian principle? Sure. So uh, Dorian is the Greek adverb that means freely. Jesus said in Matthew ten eight, freely you received, freely give. Uh, now, right after that, in the next two verses, he says that the worker is worthy of his food. So this book is about how you hold those two things together. How do you say that the worker should freely give and also that he's worthy of his food um because it sounds like you know if you don't have a good resolution to this it sounds like jesus is saying that ministers sh- shouldn't get paid and they also should get paid now uh that's not the case that jesus is contradicting himself he has certainly something in mind here and i believe the best way of expressing this distinction is between reciprocity and co-labor reciprocity being where we're exchanging the gospel for money and co-labor being where we're working together uh, giving to a minister for the sake of the gospel rather than an exchange for it. Oh, yeah, nice. And that's going to be yeah, interesting uh, discussion and as we get into um, defining what co-labor and reciprocity there is and how that uh, impacts the way we have ministry today. So uh, out of curiosity, how did you fall into this topic, Conley? How did you discover it? What got you interested in it? Sure. So uh, honestly, a lot of it has to do with my software background. I had been involved in open source for a while. And if you're familiar with open source, Mm -hmm. you know, it has to do with uh, software licensing and uh, 
specifically, uh, giving away software for free is one way of thinking about it. Uh, now, companies do that because they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of interests involved where they can actually uh, get an advantage by giving away certain software for free. And I began to realize a lot of the engineering advantages there were in thinking about uh, copyright in this looser way. But then in doing that, I began to be a little discontented with what I saw in the church, where a lot of times copyright is fully asserted to make sure, you know, there's the revenue stream that's coming in for uh, whatever, you know, material is being produced. And uh, I was generally discontent with the way the, the church was handling that, but I didn't feel like I had a, a biblical reason to object, just, you know, some pragmatic reasons why I thought that wasn't the best course of action. So then as I, you know, was studying the Bible and I began to come across verses that addressed money and ministry, I realized how much, uh, how much they were confirming some of the suspicions I had had before, uh, about the Bible actually regulating these things. And as I saw more and more that the Bible does regulate these things, I realized that there was a lot I could write about this. Originally, I wanted to write a thesis for my MDiv and I was going to, you know, maybe look at a couple of verses and then the rest would all be speculative application. But, but soon I discovered that, boy, Paul just never stops talking about money and ministry. And there's just so much in the Bible written about this that really only a small part of my thesis needs to be application. A large portion can just be looking at all the texts that very directly have a lot to say about, about restricting the sale of ministry. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely see you have a, you have a lot of, uh, arrows and triangles in your book that yeah definitely well researched there Conley and uh and a lot of scripture that you know definitely make the point there and so um just kind of a softball to pitch your book is this um is this really about uh Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and the rest of the prosperity teachers um fleecing TV viewers or is it about uh much more like does it really hit home for a lot of us that we consider ourselves evangelicals and so on <laughs> right so yeah that's if you read the back of the cover that's kind of what i suggest is that you know where it's very easy for us to point fingers at these guys who are obviously doing things wrong when it comes to money but what distinguishes our practices? A lot of times when we're deciding whether or not a ministry is handling money rightly or not rightly, it just comes down to the yuck factor. You know, how much are we disturbed by it? And that's what makes it right or wrong. But what what really is the line that scripture draws? And once you have that line, how does it apply to us rather than just assuming that we're in the right and then figuring out, uh, you know, what these other people are doing that we don't like? Um, so yeah, I believe that line really comes down to reciprocity and co-labor. You know, is money being raised as co-labor or is it being raised as reciprocity where you're where you're selling the gospel? Oh, yes. So can you elaborate more on uh, reciprocity and co-labor as you define them in the book? Sure. So, yeah, real quick, just to throw a verse out there. Second uh, Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not like so many peddlers of the word, but as... Uh, men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So Paul very directly says, you know, we shouldn't be peddlers of the word. Uh, this is not what we should be. We should be doing. We shouldn't be selling these things. So to go ahead and give you more of a technical definition of uh, co-labor and reciprocity. So ministerial reciprocity is support material or otherwise 
given to a minister out of a sense of direct obligation for his ministry of the gospel. Uh, ministerial co-labor, therefore, is just support material otherwise given by a man to a minister out of a sense of obligation to God to honor or aid in the proclamation of the gospel. So it has to do with where the, the felt sense of obligation is. Is it to this man as though he's the source of the gospel? Or is it rather to God? And because God would have his workers to be supported, I give to those workers. And uh, a good analogy for this, Paul makes a lot of analogies in 1 Corinthians 9. And the uh, most uh, hard-hitting analogy that he makes is the one between the uh, Levites and the Israelites, right? The Israelites... They have an obligation to support the Levites, but is that a direct obligation or is it an indirect obligation? And if you consider how is it the Levites were supported? Well, they were supported of the tithes and the offerings and the sacrifices, uh, but the Israelites were not giving directly to the Levites, right? They're not, they're not offering sacrifices to them. They're offering sacrifices to God. And then, uh, God would give to the Levites, right? Their inheritance was the Lord. That's the way that this is phrased in the Old Testament. So the Levites receive these things in this triangle, right? You mentioned the triangles in the book. You know, mm -hmm. the, the Israelites are giving to God and God is giving to the Levites. And we should think the same way about ministry, that we ought to be giving to the Lord and the Lord would have us give to his ministers rather than us giving to the ministers directly as though, once again, as though they're the source of the gospel. So in other words, like, um, co-labor is kind of like, yeah, like where pe the, the congregation of church would, uh, kind of give out of obligation to God, uh, for the purpose of ministry to, you know, kind of like a general fund there and, uh, fund the work of the ministry kind of in an indirect way. And then the ministers kind of withdraw you know, from that as is needed for expenses and so on. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with setting amounts that can be spent mm. or setting amounts that have to be given. It really just has to do with the, <clears throat> does the structure communicate that uh, the obligation is to the Lord. Now, when it comes to a chip, typical church context, mm. uh, you know, we're all gathered to proclaim the gospel together. Someone's got to uh, devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And so, you know, it's right typically for a congregation to agree that this person will do that and we'll give up some of the fruit of our labor so that they're able to do that well. Um, and so really that's the whole congregation working together. Now, there are other times um, where uh, you have instead, you know, the minister selling the teaching. And maybe that's some way some people think about it, you know, yeah. is that, okay, my pastor gives me the sermon and in exchange, I give him this, uh, you know, I in exchange, I give him money. I think that's the that's not the way we should be thinking about how churches run. So part of it has to do with uh, just what we're thinking, you know, in terms of the heart, but a lot of it has to do with the structure and what it's communicating. Cause uh, mm -hmm. some structures aren't as in the clear as the typical um, Sunday giving, right? Uh, a lot of times you really are directly uh, selling something with a receipt given in return. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, uh, Christian publishing industry often operates this way. Christian seminaries, Christian conferences. Usually there's some sale of gospel ministry that's involved in these. Oh, yes. So out of curiosity, um, like how did you, uh, 
you reached out to me Conley. How did you discover Truth Espresso? <laughs> you know, it's been it's been long enough since we connected. I forget yeah. which way, but <laughs> but yeah, definitely look just you know looking around for Christian podcasts oh, that yes. might be interested in discussing this. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like the the best way to get this forward right now. You know, I, mm. I'm saying something that's um, fairly unique, but mm. I think there's a and so people might be a little. Um, hesitant to accept what I'm saying because it, it's definitely different than how a lot of people are operating right now. But if you look at the history of the church, uh, you find that uh, the church has had a battle to fight in this arena at a bunch of different times, right? In the early yeah. church, there were people trying to sell prophecy. Uh, later on, you have the sale of uh, laying on of hands, right? That's called simony if you're trying to sell mm. the, the office. Yeah of pastor or bishop. And then you have the sale of relics, the sale of indulgences and the whole reformation starts out of that. And then you have the sale of pew rents. A lot of people aren't familiar with this, but it was common in the 1700s and 1800s for, for uh, people to rent pews. And if you Mm -hmm. didn't have enough money, well, you just sat on the floor and uh, yeah. And today we have uh, content, you know, that the way publishing has morphed in the past 300 years and the way uh, digital content has morphed in the past 50 years. Um, you know, there's a, there's just a new wave uh, to be reconsidered here uh, as we move forward as a church. Oh, yes. And reading your book is, it's definitely eye opening. And I don't know if you know, Conley, that um, I'm the author of two books. <laughs> um, my, the first one uh, in 2011 is called Freedom to Give the Biblical Truth about Tithing. And uh, I take a kind of a anti-modern tithe teaching position in the book and and then uh recently last year i self-published a book uh called um now my mind's going blank (laughs) when the watchtower knocks oh yeah you got it thank you (laughs) when the watchtower knocks discussing an encounter with jehovah's witnesses and uh, yeah so of course uh reading your book and then i'm thinking Uh oh i'm kind of in (laughs) trouble here but yeah we're gonna work our way through this and uh, in an yeah in an email exchange i remember i I mentioned that I wanted to find a way to, you know, give out copies. Like I want to donate because you're as a, the publisher of your book is uh, first love publishing and um, they actually sell books for free. (laughs) Basically they have a storefront on their website and um, you know, you put the book in your shopping car and the price is zero. The shipping is zero. And so that's how I got uh, my copy of your Dorian principle uh, generously mailed out to me for free. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I definitely have a lot to think about regarding my two books. Um, I know my first book was not self-published. It was with a small uh, tradeback publisher. So, you know, as we, oh, something happened with my video there. <laughs> Let me uh, start it up again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> can you hear me? Oh yeah. I can hear just okay. Yeah. Not sure what happened to my video there. Oh, I think I might have bumped the cord, but uh, anyhow, <laughs> um, sure. this will be released on the podcast anyway before I do anything with the video, so it's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, definitely uh, 
not sure what I could do about um, the the non self published book, uh, Freedom to Give, but I know that I have more control over when the watchtower knocks, and so yeah, definitely going to be thinking about um, how I handle the uh, distribution of that book. Um, but yeah, yeah. you know, uh, you know, one of my co pastors I recently recruited uh, and. Uh, led the church through hiring uh, another pastor here, and he's a former Jehovah's Witness, and he has a self-published book on on Jehovah's Witnesses as well. <laughs> and he's so he's also thinking about you know how he wants to move forward with that, asking himself the same questions about uh, you know getting them printed and giving them out for free, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. Like in publishing each both of those books, it's like I never thought of the idea that I was doing it for money. It was mostly like, this is the mechanism by which you disseminate a book. And so, yeah. Right. Um, but what's interesting is back in um, the kind of early 2000s, I know you mentioned open source software. I was, you know, as a coder at that time too, I was kind of getting into the, uh, you know, GNU stuff and like reading about uh, free software and open source. And then I did Richard Stallman. <laughs> yeah. Richard Stallman. Yeah, he, once, so. he once spent two nights in my room. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you've met him before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, um, and then, you know, coworkers would be like calling me Richard Stallman or something, but I, I was at one point just kind of getting into that and the idea of promoting free software and open source software. I was getting frustrated at software licensing and stuff and promoting the idea of like, you know, you sell support contracts and not, you know, uh, installing software and, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, I, I didn't think too much of how that carries over into book publishing somewhat well actually i did and in in some ways i was i would talk to people about how i wanted to write a book and kind of publish it under a creative commons license in some ways but then eventually as i was studying about publishing it kind of got into where i was like thinking wait did i just have it all wrong is it do i just not know how publishing is supposed to work and so i kind of like drifted away from you know the principles that i had before and so the now reading your book uh, like thinking okay this kind of reminds me of of how i used to think and maybe i wasn't so strange or you know because <laughs> i used to think like is there something wrong with me that i think this way but then yeah reading your book it's like okay, you know, maybe I should rethink how I've been publishing the book and think of how, you know, there's ways to uh, distribute it without making, you know, uh, religion, the the gospel and stuff into a, a product for which I would charge for it. But <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah, those are all good thoughts. And uh, I, I doubt your listeners are familiar with Richard Stallman and we've been mentioning him. But uh, but one of the things I found interesting was I had I had organized a talk for him to speak at. And uh, it was about how these things apply to books. And I was I was fascinated because, boy, he takes a very different position on books than he does on software as far as, uh, yeah, how we should think about copyright. Um, anyway, yeah, my my views are very different now than they were back then. And <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think that copyright does does uh, significantly more harm than it does good. Not just uh, around the gospel, though mostly, although certainly around the gospel, um, 
but it uh, definitely does a lot of inhibiting uh, innovation. <laughs> so I have a question sure. from my uh, Freedom to Give book. Um, I'm curious what yeah. what like how does uh, do, what's your view on tithing in the church and how does it relate to the Dorian principle? <laughs> yeah. So if by tithing you mean ten uh, percent then, uh, and it looks like the, the main position of your book is that we don't have to exactly give 10%, right? Uh, yes. There, there's okay. no, there's no calculated amount or floor right. or ceiling or whatever. It's right. freely giving. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, ideally we're giving generously and I mm-hmm. do think there's a, I certainly think there's cause to talk to, um, a church member who, uh, m- maybe being unfaithful in that area. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that it's so personal that, you know, it's just, out of the question to, to encourage a brother. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as the Dorian principle goes, uh, giving on a either weekly or monthly or whatever it is basis. Um, ideally that's how most co-labor would happen, you know, that we wouldn't have to resort to other models where we end up selling, but, you know, week by week as the church gathers, it's, uh, gathering and co-laboring, offering, offering resources to the Lord. Now, uh, you ask me what I think about ties. And I find that an interesting question because I've been doing more history research lately. I did a lot of history research for my thesis on this topic, but um, I've been doing more lately. And I've realized that uh, in a lot of church history, what was meant by the word tithe was specifically the um, government enforcement of 10%. (laughs) So there would be a lot of people who I agree with who were opposed to ties in a different way, right? It um, It wasn't the amount they were quibbling with so much as it was whether or not these things happened through the state versus through some other mechanism. And yeah, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd agree with that too. If you're not giving freely, uh, you're not, um, yeah, if you're not giving voluntarily, it's not really out of a heart of worship. Ephesians chapter four, verse 25. Therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. It's definitely a very interesting topic to disc- to study, and it's yeah, it seemed like because you're in the Dorian principle, you're talking about um, co labor as a matter of the um, people giving uh, sustenance to the Levites, and then the Levites would minister, and they didn't bring things directly to the priests. You know, the the the, the Levites would then 
um, tie their ties to the priests. And, and the, it seemed like there was this kind of triangle there. And so I, I, when I was reading that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, well, some of what I was talking about in my book there, that uh, kind of that triangle there and stuff. Yeah. So another question about uh, whether this has to do with whether someone's rich or poor. You mentioned um, kind of the situation with Paul um and the Philippians uh, and the Corinthians. And, uh, you know, so can you explain that a little bit? Like where it seemed like the Apostle Paul was like willing to take money. Oh, yeah. Also from the Macedonians, you know, and so on. Like he's willing to take money from a poorer church and aid a richer church or how did that work? <laughs> right. Yeah. So one objection a lot of people make well, is that, Oh, you know, you can't take, you can't take money from the poor. You got to take it. That that's one of the, when we talk about that yuck factor, you know, <laughs> what I mentioned before, like that's usually what comes into play, but you look at Paul's ministry and he's, he's really willing to call even the poor to huge levels of obedience, you know, and faithfulness. You even see Jesus with the, the widow and some people interpret that to be saying that you know she was tricked and she shouldn't have given but jesus seems to really commend her for her giving so yeah and uh just to clarify macedonia is like the the area around philippi so philippi Mm -hmm. is is part of macedonia when when paul talks about macedonia he's really talking about philippi and so uh so yeah what he says in uh second corinthians 11 is that he was willing to rob from the Macedonians. That's the word he uses uh, so that he wouldn't have to take from the Corinthians. And I believe that in context, the best way of understanding that is that uh, especially if you look at the letter of Philippians and he says, they were the only ones willing to partner with him in the gospel. He was willing to take their co-labor, even though it was a a great difficulty for them rather than to take uh, the reciprocity that the Corinthians wanted to give him. That was much easier for them. So really wasn't about whether one was poor and another was rich. It was about, once again, co-labor and reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Um, the Corinthians were giving in the context of Paul planting the church, not in the context of him uh, going out to uh, funding his missions or his, uh, his ministry. And this is, this is essentially what was going on with the super apostles in Corinth. If you read second Corinthians, you know, they're the ones who are the peddlers of the word. They're the ones who are essentially claiming to, be the real fathers of Corinth to, to boast in what Paul's accomplishments are. And so as they're receiving money, they're receiving it in exchange for essentially what was Paul's work. So yeah, just to, just to summarize, I believe this once again comes down to reciprocity versus co-labor. Oh, yes. So do you think the, the problem with the church today as we're introducing this concept, I know you mentioned in the book, um, like there's uh, wolves in sheep's clothing and uh, false teachers. You know the the a verse about um, we're not as some which peddle the word of God. Um, do you think a lot like especially in our circles? Do you think a, a lot of people just are ignorant of the way things should be, or is there a lot of motivation for like material gain or like how? Uh, like, what do you think motivates a lot of people to do things um, kind of contrary to the Dorian principle? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, s- certainly, I think that a lot of people are are 
ignorant on this and <laughs> that sounds really insulting but uh, a lot of the people i mean a lot of the people who write the books i read i consider them much uh, greater and holy men than me so it's not a this isn't really a, a statement of my superiority but um i do think that this is something where the church has not stopped to to sit and think about what this means in this new era where we've got this issue of selling content and uh, and it just needs to be to be thought through. But uh, one of the points I make in the book, though, in chapter seven, is that we often think of false teachers and greedy teachers as being kind of this overlapping Venn diagram where some greedy teachers are false and some false teachers are greedy. But uh, there are some greedy teachers that aren't false and some false teachers that aren't greedy. But the, the Bible looks at the heart and the Bible says that you either serve God or you serve mammon. And so while that expression of the heart may take different shapes, uh, primarily what you should expect to see is that those ministries that are insincere are going to be uh, handling money wrongly and doing it for the sake of money, essentially exchanging the gospel for money. And those ministries who are doing things uh, rightly have the right heart should not be. Now, right now you don't see that because like i said that expression is diversified in light of the context that we live right people's ignorance about what the bible requires about these particular things etc but the bible tells us this should be a primary tool we have to to discern whether or not teachers are true and false right now it's uh not a very accessible tool for us because of the uh confusing culture that we live in but i think if we can restore this and have a little bit of reformation in the church uh it can be come clear uh, yeah, where the where the true teachers are and where the false teachers are. Yeah, and you you see this in in times past too. You know, anytime there's uh there's some error, it's it only becomes uh like a serious heresy or something like that when someone uh is stubborn and insists on their way when confronted. And and that's the thing is many true ministers who are doing things wrongly in this have not been confronted at all. So yeah, I don't I don't hold this against uh anyone at this point in time, ask me again in 10 years and maybe I'll be <laughs> jaded when uh, people haven't, <laughs> have it reformed, but uh, yeah. yeah, right now, no. So um, uh, I know here you talk, talk in uh, other interviews about things like, okay, you know, book publishing is one is kind of like the iconic example of how the Dorian principles compromise. And, but there's other examples, things like, um, you know, uh, seminary, college education, and so on like that, um, speaker fees, you know, conferences and stuff like that. So, you know, like, is if someone follows or understands the Dorian principle, is it like, you know, wrong on their part to say, attend, you know, pay the fee and attend something like a, a G3 conference or something like that? Or... <laughs> Sure. Well, yeah, let me go ahead and clarify that I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with speaker's fees. The The problem is in selling the conference ticket, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're saying that you can't hear this gospel message unless you, unless you give me money. Now there's different. Now, if, you know, a bunch of churches want to fund a conference and they're going to make sure the speakers are well supported financially. Hey, that's, that's great. That's co-labor. Um, yeah. The issue mm -hmm. is when uh, the one, when the recipient of ministry has to give, um, or is or is encouraged to give in a way that's reciprocal. So, uh, so your question is now: Do I have to limit what I consume because of this concern? I think there are some uh, implications for the giver. Um, 
they should certainly uh, have this in mind as they decide, you know, what kind of ministries they want to support. At the same time, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of options when it comes to particular conferences or particular books, right? If this book is written about this and you know, it's got good content, you know, you don't really have many options. If, if this conference, you know, you're going to benefit it from it and there's not really a, an obvious replacement. Well, uh, you, you don't really have a lot of options. So I don't think that I, I think that we should certainly be concerned about supporting a system we shouldn't support. You know, I, I do personally, um, I've chosen not to invest in Logos, for example, the Bible software. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I don't, I don't expect that to be a decision everyone makes. That's, that's something more where it's kind of like a strategic decision. Um, thinking back on the, uh, the history of the church and how it's dealt with this issue, for example, uh, simony, which is typically the term – Typically, that term is used for selling ordinations, but in general, uh, it's been defined as exchanging anything uh, temporal for something spiritual, mm. right? And that's uh, that's essentially what I'm getting at in this book. I've chosen different language than simony because it has so much uh, historical context and baggage, and I kind of wanted to mm. start fresh. But, uh, but yeah, exchanging something temporal for something spiritual. And uh, Aquinas, as he was answering the question of, well, what if you're in a situation where, uh, you know, it's wrong to it's wrong to purchase, uh, you know, some something spiritual, right? It's wrong to purchase the laying on of hands or something like that. But what if, what if you have a right to it, and this is the only way you can get it? Well, in that case, you know, you you aren't really guilty of of bribery. It's the other person who's guilty. And so I think that's typically the case when we're talking about content, because, uh, yeah, we just don't we don't have another option, right? This this thing is being held hostage. We do have a, a a right in a sense to to this teaching that God would have people here, and so uh, so as we as we pay for it, I don't think we are are uh, guilty of of simony or guilty of violating the Dorian principle ourselves. Mm, okay, <laughs> and um, so about um, say right, Christian writers conferences, <laughs> I I went to one uh, years ago, so. Like, would that like, and of course I had to pay like a fee to enter and, you know, participate in stuff and that, that would fund the speaker's fees and so on like that. Like, so if what's kind of essentially being sold there is, um, writing techniques and not necessarily the gospel itself, you know, would that fall afoul the dorian principle or it would kind of depend or what <laughs> yeah so that's that's a great question so i didn't get into this in the book as much as i should have but i defined gospel ministry as uh the proclamation of the gospel or anything that attends to the proclamation of the gospel and interesting this this is pretty similar to how simony was traditionally defined which is um uh uh, selling anything spiritual or anything annexed to, to spiritual things. So yeah, if you're selling, if you're selling something that is the gospel and then st putting other things onto that and then selling those things, even selling those other things is a problem. However, yeah, if the essence of what you're selling is writing technique and you want to frame that in a, in a Christian context and you want to make this a place where, you know, uh, people are going to have more of a social connection because they have a spiritual connection. I, I don't see any problem with that of, uh, because you're right, like what's being sold there would not be would not be the gospel, even if you're using, you know, a, a gospel framing for things, uh, the <laughs> essence of what's being sold is not the gospel. So, yeah, and that 
that can get difficult to discern, right? Because these things are kind of on a spectrum. Like, at what point does this become gospel ministry? At what mm-hmm. point is is it not? Uh, there's a thought experiment I occasionally mention where, let's say yeah. you were uh, selling a, a birthday card and you uh, put a Bible verse on the birthday card. Well, that doesn't make the birthday card now gospel ministry. But let's say you put another Bible verse on it and then another <laughs> and then another until, and you add pages until it like becomes a whole Bible. At what point? <laughs> it's quite <laughs> the birthday be- card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At what point? Like, did that become gospel ministry? Uh, I, I don't know the answers to that. That's, uh, those are stoic questions that are <laughs> kind of impossible to answer. But um, so I'm not saying this is always easy to discern. Mm. I'm just saying that there, uh, there is a, there is a line somewhere, and we need to to discern it as best we can. And these mm. are the parameters by which we should. Yeah, like you mentioned, like. Of course, motivation plays a factor somewhat in it, along with like structure of fundraising and stuff. And right. you'd mention, um, you know, in and out burger that would have uh, like a Bible reference on the like a wrapper, or the cup, and stuff like that. And that yeah. you know, that's not peddling the gospel and stuff. But, right. Um, or what about someone who like is a Christian who has a business selling, say, T-shirts with like just phrases or verses on them, you know, would that, <laughs> would that fall in any, in any way or <laughs> you think? Right. No. Yeah. That would just be, I mean, there's the essence of what they're selling is a t-shirt. I don't think there's any problem there. Now I do think, uh, I, I do think it's worth, uh, considering distinguishing ministering entities from non-ministering ent- oh, yeah. entities. What I mean by that is like, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of confusing when, a church starts raising funds by selling things like t-shirts mm. or whatever. Right. Cause then, uh, you know, it's starting to become a bit of a business there, but then at the same time, you know, I totally support a church that wants to, you know, like rent out its land or whatever. So it, it gets confusing, I guess, but I, I just think there's, it's worth uh, drawing some hard lines so that you, uh, you make it clear. You're not trying to, you're not trying to sell anyone uh, the gospel. Oh Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a good, good. Uh, even if we're not um, perfectly, you know, understanding in every case, you know, it's that lens that that purpose that we're looking at, trying to, you know, like, you know, it's not one of those. It's as you said, it's the Dorian principle, not uh, law, but it's, you know, it's it's a way to filter your actions and stuff by like, am I living up to this principle and so on? Um, right. Yeah, that's a that's a a good way of saying it, I guess. The um, yeah, I would I would like people as they read this book to not think too critically about my applications at the end. Um, I mean, mm. certainly, you know, be a critical thinker, but, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you don't agree with some of the conclusions I come to on application, don't throw out the principle, right? Like judge the principle on its own merits. And if we come to different conclusions on how to apply it, that's, you know, I mean, that's just, that's going to be how, uh, it's going to have to be that way. You know, we're not going to, not everyone's going to come to the same conclusions, but I really am hoping that uh, the church at large can come to the same conclusions on the principle, even if not on the application. Oh yeah, for sure. So as a podcaster, like I know you mentioned things like, uh, you know, the internet is providing things that make it easier kind of to follow this principle with technology, like say donation sites, like things like Patreon and stuff. That's a way to, accept donations without like directly charging for a product and stuff. And, you know, like say if I wanted to set up a donation site like Patreon where I'm not 
like selling something but just hey if you like you like this and you want to support me and you'd like to see me continue it's kind of giving a nod with whatever you know you'd like to give and stuff um like with that would that be consistent with the principle yeah absolutely i think that's generally co-labor what you would want to avoid Mm. is you know any language that's reciprocal in nature Mm, so anything where you're saying you know uh you've benefited from us. Now, how about consider giving back, you know, or, oh, yeah. or if you, um, a lot of times Kickstarter or Patreon will encourage you to use, uh, perks, right. Where oh, you yeah. say, uh, you know, if you give at this level, you, then you get these extra videos that <laughs> only my best subscribers get to watch. And then you're teaching in private, you know, or, or doing something oh, yeah. like that. That's uh, and then at that point you're selling teaching once again. Oh yeah, that that was going to be my next question. Like, okay, you have Patreon or uh, buy me a coffee or something like that. And of course not like pestering or saying, you know, I'm not going to continue to do this unless you cough it up and donate and stuff. But, <laughs> but like, okay, so that, yeah, like say Patreon, they have the different levels and yeah, you mentioned the perks. So like, you know, perks like that, like getting a, uh, a mug or a t-shirt or something like that in exchange for a donation might kind of like, yeah, be a little right. iffy there. But yeah. yeah. And yeah. And yeah, when it's something physical, like a mug, it's, it's iffy, but when it's teaching, right. Which a lot of, a lot of, uh, ministries do, you know, they give extra teaching to those who pay certain levels. That's, that's when it's definitely violating that line. Oh yeah. <laughs> and now as a, an author just kind of get into some a few practical questions um before you know before we start to wrap up things like so since i've self-published a book um like or to any other like authors or wannabe authors who you know would learn the dorian principle and want to um be good stewards uh of the word of god um what are what's some advice like technical measures someone could take like say they're self-publishing with amazon what would be some things that would help out like here's how you can you know properly give your book like say okay i want a paperback version but with amazon i'm not sure how i can you know give that away for free from amazon uh printing it but amazon provides a you know, a good distribution. So it's like some people might not see it, see my book unless they see it on Amazon, but Amazon might not give me the way to get them a printed copy of it, nor point them in the description. Hey, don't get it from here. Get it over there, you know, type of thing. Like, so things like, okay, I could provide the Kindle version of it for, for zero, you know, on Amazon. Um, Are there like other you know, kind of technological things that could help uh, authors and would-be authors to uh, keep the Dorian principle in mind when it comes to publishing books and, and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, sure. So just thinking about the the Kindle edition, um, it's interesting that uh, Amazon requires you charge some like minimum amount. And then if you want to get that reduced to zero, uh, you have to have it for free on some other site and then get them to price match. So, and then you have to do that like per region, which, mm. uh, you know, my wife has been managing the Kindle stuff and she's done it like in, uh, 
I don't know, like five different regions, but I still occasionally get like a few cents from, from these other regions where someone has, has uh, purchased the book because we haven't like done the price matching there, which (laughs) that you can't, you can't buy it anywhere else except for, you know, you figure out some other country uh, to to visit that Amazon (laughs) website and try purchasing it. Uh, As far as, um, uh, yeah, what do I think about like a uh, print on demand or something like that? I think that's mm-hmm. what you're pretty much asking about. So this is actually how the church used to operate prior to the 18th century. Cause you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a royalties model until the 18th century when you have the advent of copyright. And uh, prior to that, what would happen is that, uh, well, the author was really interested in getting his work out there. Maybe they get funded if they, you know, put a, um, a dedication in the front and that, that queen or whatever would, you know, support them. But generally they just wanted to get the word out there. Mm -hmm. And then the publisher was the secular entity that just wanted to publish whatever would make them money. So I don't think there's, I don't think there's any uh, inherent problem with using print on demand and setting it so that you don't get anything. And then Amazon is just chart. They're the ones, you know, charging for printing and they're the ones charging for shipping. Mm -hmm. Uh, my publisher really wanted to make it clear that we were giving this for free. And so they wanted to bear all that burden. Um, and I, I think there's something very, uh, very good about doing that. And so I'm really happy that we're able to do that. However, I don't think there's a principled issue with someone using a, a, a print on demand service where it's some secular entity that's charging for printing and shipping. Hmm. Okay. So like, yeah, like what I have to, set say the sell price of the paperback on amazon to the print cost <laughs> or like or something like that or right. yeah, that would, would it be, be sufficient yeah. like okay unfortunately you, you have to pay a certain price for the paperback if you get it through amazon but the content's still available if you get on kindle for free so there's that <laughs> sure so that's that's another question is you know why is it why is it necessary that the uh yeah, why can't I just give the content away for free? And then, you know, the book is more of like a a, uh, a luxury item. Why don't we why don't we sell those? Well, <laughs> the uh, the issue there that I see is, you know, if you look at what Jesus and Paul said about their ministries and Jesus says freely give. And that's in the context of the disciples doing miracles. Right. That's in the he says, uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons you receive without giving give without pay so if they were to uh not charge for the gospel but charge for the miracles they'd be violating what he said you know these things that attend to the gospel they're also supposed to give it freely right and like i said simony was traditionally defined as you know selling anything even annexed to spiritual things now uh, is the paper annexed to a spiritual thing i would say it is and uh just to give that other example from paul's ministry uh, Paul didn't say, well, as long as you pay for my ship ticket and as long as you uh, pay for my room and board, you know, then I'll minister freely. He wouldn't even accept uh, free room and board, right? He refused those things because he considered them so annexed to his ministry, that so attendant to his ministry that uh, that he could not charge for that either. And so I see the paper as being like, you know, Paul's room and board. You can't, uh, you can't charge for that and then say you're not charging for ministry when that's part of the ministry. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely have some avenues to explore um, with, you know, my books and thinking about how, you know, technological measures and the Dorian principle there with, yeah. And even as I was entertaining 
um, setting up like Patreon or, you know, I have a buy me a coffee, stuff like that with, you know, perks and stuff, you know, like, <laughs> or, you know, definitely thinking about how to uh, structure that in such a way where it's not selling anything there. But <laughs> yeah, cool. So, um, Conley, do you have any, like, um, anything else you'd like to get out? Any last, um, uh, thoughts that you'd like to get out before we, uh, wrap up the episode? Well, there's a lot of verses, uh, that we haven't gone over and that's, that's totally fine. Um, there, you know, if you read the book, there's just tons of verses, so I wouldn't expect to (laughs) to get to all of them, but maybe just to, to throw in a couple more. Um, and Isaiah 55, one. Uh, Isaiah says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he has no money. Come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And uh, this is really the heart of what it, what I'm saying is if the gospel itself is free and that's really like the core of our faith, you know, that as Protestants, you know, that if the gospel is free, then uh, it must also be uh, demonstrated that it's free in the way it's offered in our own ministries. So, you see the the whole Bible ends with that note uh, going back to Isaiah 55 one saying um, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. If this is, if this gospel is truly without price, that needs to be reflected in our ministries. And uh, just the the last thing, the thing I end the, the book on, um, and I don't bother explaining it there, but maybe I'll explain it here. Is uh, Micah three eleven says its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, "Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us." So here you have the different leaders in Israel, the the heads, the priests, the prophets, all charging for this ministry that they're doing, and uh, thinking that they're fine with the Lord. And this is a situation we're in now. You know, many of us are engaged in uh, selling ministry and think that everything's fine. Uh, but is it really? And and consider who these different people are, right? The heads giving judgment. So either the judges or the princes, right? And uh, the head prince would be the king. And uh, priests teaching for a price. Prophets. These are the prophets, priests, and kings. Uh, these are the three offices of Christ. And so as we are representatives of Christ, uh, speaking prophetically, being this priesthood of all believers, um, uh, being a royal priesthood. So, you know, in that sense, you know, having having a, this kind of secondary kingly office that is underneath Christ as, as the one king, uh, we need to represent him well. And if we are offering these things that he has offered without price, if we are offering them at a price, uh, we're doing a huge disservice to... Um, to the the church, to those to whom we minister to ourselves. Yeah, definitely some good closing thoughts there, Conley. Um, so how would, uh, people get in touch with you and, and find out more about, uh, your book, the Dorian principle. Sure. So, uh, the Dorian principle, uh, is available at the Dorian principle.org. Dorian is spelled D O R E A N. And uh, you can get all kinds of formats there. There's an audio book, there's a PDF, EPUB, uh, link to the Kindle version. 
And uh, it's even available right on the web page, so you can just control F, which is uh, one of the nicest features when reading a book <laughs> is just being able to control F. Yeah. Uh, there's also a link to order a paperback copy, which if it, you're in the US, it, uh, the publisher will ship you the paperback copy absolutely free of charge. And uh, yeah, I can be reached at info at the Dorian principle dot org or uh, I'm also on Facebook. We have a group called Money and Ministry. Uh, if you'd like to discuss these things more and be part of uh, this group that's trying to figure out how to move forward with these things, I'd love it if you could join uh, the Money and Ministry group on Facebook. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, thank you, Conley, for um, being a guest on Truth Espresso and um, giving us some very good food for thought and teaching about the Durian principle. And um, Conley did not come here on Truth Espresso to sell his book. He came here to um, explain his book, and you can get his book, The Dorian Principle, have it right here, uh, for free, freely you have received, freely give. And so thank you, Conley, for um, being on Truth Espresso. All right, thanks for having me. <laughs> well, thank you too, Conley, and God bless. And uh, so check out the Durian Principle, uh, check out Conley Owens and um, his website and then uh, look at the Facebook group there. And I'll provide links to these in the show notes for this episode. And so uh, stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 